This is Todd Starnes. I have the privilege to be pastor of Odessa First Assembly. Thank you for joining our podcast today. We have started a new series called The Returning King. This first week is titled His Return. And I'll talk about seven signs of Christ's return. I think humanity has been asking since the ascension, when will Jesus return? I believe that Christ's return is more imminent than it has ever been throughout history. It's amazing to watch biblical prophecy unfold right in front of us. I hope that this message will encourage you and build your faith. God bless you. The returning king. The sermon really this morning is focused on his coming. The coming of Christ. And the time frame in which Christ is going to come. And so, Revelations chapter 22, we're going to begin, we're going to read three verses in Revelations 22, beginning in verse 7. And behold, I am coming soon. Now, just to really quickly remind you that this is uh, John the Revelator writing Revelation, and Jesus has given him, um, has transported him, given this vision, this, this moment where we have this unfolding of revelation of end time events, what's going to happen uh, with uh, the, the tribulation and after the tribulation. And right here, Jesus says, and behold, I am coming soon. Verse 12, it says this again, look, and behold, I am coming soon. It says it again, and yes, there's other, there's a comma or periods and, and parts of, of those words afterwards, and those are important, and we're going to be looking at those through this series, but I want to go now to Revelations 22 and verse 20. It says, he who testifies of these things, so this is, this, that's Jesus, Jesus is the one talking here, he who testifies to these things, surely I am coming soon. And then John adds to that, amen, come Lord Jesus. We may, some of us that have probably been in, you've been in church a while, maybe you've heard the term Maranatha, Maranatha Lord, Lord, come quickly. And I have got to say that where I see just a, a global culture and American culture, never before have I said as, I, as deeply as what I've said recently, Lord Jesus, we need you to come back. I, if there isn't that, that longing on, in, deep inside of your spirit, I'm going to be very honest with you, and I don't mean to be rude or, or browbeating or anything like that, but if there is not this, that feeling inside of you that you're ready to see Jesus for eternity, then there's something off inside your heart. Because if you, if you really love the Lord and you are saved, you understand this temporary place is not home. It, this is not our, our final destination. We have been born to live for eternity with Jesus. About a year ago, I preached a sermon. It was about, I think it was actually almost a year ago, last October. I, actually, I preached a sermon specifically on the rapture called Soon and Very Soon. I'll be preaching in a couple of weeks if the Lord wills, again, on specifically the rapture of the church. 
And as I was thinking about that, you know, it, uh, Matthew 24, 27. Matthew 24, 27 tells us, For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so the coming of the Son of Man will be. You know, this summer, when we were helping with camp, um, I had gone down. They do a, uh, a they call it Serve Week. And it's before everybody gets there. It's just for all those volunteering and giving their time. You're on 35, 40 um, uh, students and adults that have come down to help with camp. And so we have, they have nightly services. And so uh, the last couple of years, I've been honored to be able to, to speak um, to, to those people serving at camp. And, and so this year I was there again, you know, preaching. And, and had, we had a wonderful service. And, and that night, it was Memorial Day weekend. And uh, I mean, a storm hit camp like a, a storm I haven't seen in a long, I mean, it was a gully washer. Anybody know what a gully washer is? Okay, someone's know what a gully washer is. It's, it's a really big storm. So it washes the gullies. That was supposed to impress you. I, you don't sound very impressed, but... And so, but I, I remember we were, in, we were standing by a window, and, and our cafeteria has these huge windows, and a, a, some lightning struck. It, that lightning had to be within 50 yards. I mean, I don't know that I've ever been that close to a lightning strike. And I mean, we were deaf. I mean, it just, I mean, our ears were ringing. We were, I mean, all of us for a few seconds were completely blinded. I mean, I was like, I mean, I, for a minute I'm thinking, okay, did we just get hit by lightning? I mean, that, I mean, the boom was just insane. And it, it happened so quick. If you've ever seen lightning or been close to it, I mean, you know that it happens quickly. And here in Matthew 24, Jesus is saying, for as lightning comes, with that power, with that, with that quickness, is the same way that the coming of the Son of Man is. When Jesus comes back, he's not going to mess around, and he's coming in a flash, in an instant, in a moment. Ever since Jesus ascended heaven, people have been asking, how soon is King Jesus coming? I mean, I've heard it all of my life, and I know I haven't, you know, I didn't, I, I ran from God, you know, early in life, and, but my mom still made me go to church, and uh, maybe some of you remember the prophecy guy coming to your church, right, and have the banner from one side of the platform to the other, does anybody remember those and talked all about Revelation? And I always got saved during those services because, you know, I was like, I'm going to get beheaded. And, uh, you know, so better, better make sure things you're right with God. I remember that. I, I remember when, uh, you know, coming home and not being able to find anybody and thinking, where is everybody gone? And the moment I thought that, I thought, I just got left till the rapture happened. So I'd call my nanny. I'd call her on the, you know, the old landline phones, you know. We used to have those. And I'd dial nanny up who lived right across the street. And if she answered, I'd be like, if nanny answers, I know I'm okay. Because if anybody's going, nanny's going. Right? Grandma's going. And she would answer. And I'd be like, okay, I'm good right now. And I'd get right with God again. I mean, we've been hearing it all of our life. But I'm going to tell you, we are closer than where we have ever been. The question is, where are we in the last days? I tell you personally, believe that the end times, that the last days began with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Why do I believe that? Because it's what Joel said would happen. He said, in the last days, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Do you hear me this morning? 
And so the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit poured out, that was the beginning of the end. And so we've been in the end for a while, but we're at the time of the end where it's just going to ramp up. So, but what is, I, I want to lay this a little bit of groundwork and, and maybe give us some understanding of how this should motivate us or how this should really contend with our heart. And the first thing is this, we have greater opportunity to influence the, internal de- the eternal destiny of others like, like, like we've never had before. I mean, of, of any previous generation, what we're living in right now is the church's time to shine. And I want to be very clear. People, I know we talk about the end times and we talk about the last revival or great gatherings. And we, I know that God, is, he still saves. He's going to save. I think we're going to see that ramped up in this time that we're in. But our primary mission, and I have been clear on this, but I want to be clear once more that our primary influence, our primary mission is not to influence elections. Our primary mission is not to get the right laws passed. Our primary mission is not to restore the glory of a former nation. Our primary mission is to be about the master's business. That is our mission. And we're living in a time right now where we can influence people like we've never been able to influence. Because people are wondering, why is this pandemic happening? Why is there so much death? Why is there so much struggle? Why is there so many problems? It's because God is opening up a door for you to live in faith and for you to share your faith and impact somebody's life that's what it's about our generation the second thing is this I believe in these last days that our generation faces a greater temptation to fall away from our faith than any previous generation you know why I believe that because the Bible says in Matthew 24 12 we are in the last days we have nothing we, we are Matthew 24, 12, and because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. That agape love of the work of Christ and people's hearts will grow cold. I, it is amazing to me. I, you may not keep up with this stuff, but I kind of keep up with it. You know, it's, maybe that's a little bit of part of my job, but on average, since March of 2020, on average, those that attended church, those that only 70% have come back in church. And I, I see that in our church. And I said at the beginning of this thing that what God was going to do is what Scripture tells us that there would be, a, this was a shaking about to take place. Across the board in America, only 70% of those that attended church before March 2020 have come back to church. Think about that for a moment. Not only that, but by the year 2050, if the Lord tarries, what, you know, smart people, I'm not one of the smart people, just so you know, but what the smart people tell us is that by 2050, that only 11% of our nation will go to church. Think about it a moment. Does that not, does that not some example signify obvious of Matthew 24, 12? Church, remain faithful. Remain faithful. Remain faithful. You will never be part of a perfect church. 
Scripture says that offenses will come. Listen, I, man, I get mad at my sister. I, I, get, I, get, I, I still get mad at my parents sometimes when I, you know, they do or say something. I'm like, what are you thinking? I, you know, th- those temptations happen, but they're still my family, and I'm still going to go to Thanksgiving and get some turkey. But too many Christians get their feelings hurt. Oh, I'm not getting fed. And that's the attack of the enemy to get you individualized, separated, so that he can have his way with you. Please forgive me if I'm being a little too direct. That is not my heart. My heart is, is to say, church, wake up. Now is the time to shine. Now is the time to be faithful. The third thing is this. We are in the last days. We have nothing to fear. Why? Because perfect love casts out all fear. The Bible says in 1 John 4, 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Listen, church, the way, the way, the way 1, John 14 comes, uh, 1 John 4 comes alive is John 15. It's John 15 to abide in him, to abide in Christ. Listen, you, I, whether, I, you know, were you the manliest man or that's how you see yourself or, 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 or you're the girliest girl? What, it doesn't matter where you are on the personality map. You need to fall in love with Jesus. You need to learn to worship. You need to learn to worship. You need to learn to cry and to lift your hands and to let loose. And it's like God interact and encounter with you right where you are. And then you'll know what it is to be perfected in love. If you're over 54, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. But if you're over 54 years old, in a few moments I'm going to show you how the most significant day of your life happened on June 7th, 1967. And if you're younger than that, I'm going to show you why your most important date was May 14th of 2018. Why these dates? Because significant things happened in the nation of Israel on these days. And what happens in Israel influences the world. Listen, don't buy into the theology. Don't buy in. Listen, I understand. if you're not exposed to many cultures, it's easy for your understanding of Scripture to be through the lens of your own culture. But you have to understand, Scripture was not written according to American culture. I know, I know. And, and just so you know, Paul didn't speak King James English. Yeah, I said it. I'm sorry. Nothing wrong with the King James. We understand that Paul was a Hebrew in the Roman world, and so English was not his language, right? And so we need to understand the times that we're in and understand that uh, ever since uh, Genesis 3, God has been laser-focused on building a community of people to relate to him by faith. When God first created Adam and Eve, when we read about Enoch, when, when we read about God's encounter with Moses at the burning bush, but especially when it comes to Abraham, we see that through Abraham, a nation was birthed and born. And that nation 
was to have relationship with the Father by faith. As a matter of fact, in Genesis 12, 3, we read, I will bless those who bless you. I will, and, and, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And then you, all the families of the earth, shall be blessed. Abraham, the founder of the nation of Israel. I mean, Israel, and then Israel had a grandson, uh, Abraham had a grandson named Israel. And through Israel, God has bless the world and so that's my first point is how do we know the king is coming the signs that we know the king is coming the first one is is to know how israel has blessed the world and israel has blessed the world through jesus i, I want to go back to genesis 12 and i want to read verses 2 you know i do this pretty often i kind of point out a verse and then kind of go the one before it and read them both together but Genesis 12 2 and 3 let's read them together and I will make you a great nation this is talking to Abraham and I will bless you and make your name great so that you'll be a blessing so we see God's making a covenant with Abraham saying I'm gonna make you a great nation so that you will be a blessing I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you all curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And so we can even read, you, you, you want to know how this impacts us and affects, how are we blessed by Israel? Well, I'll tell you how we're blessed by Israel. That, that's the homeland of the Holy Scriptures we believe in. That is the birthplace of the Messiah. That is where Christ died on the cross. <coughs> Excuse me. The world has been impacted because of Israel. Every time an individual puts their trust in Jesus, the nation of Israel is blessing the world. Every time someone reads scripture, Israel is blessing the world. You may say, well, Jesus died 2,000 years ago, and the last portion was written 1,900 years ago. I mean, has anything really happened even recently? Well, 73 years ago, something else happened that fulfilled an ancient prophecy. And we read about that prophecy in Ezekiel chapter 37. Now, <clears throat> excuse me. Now, many of you, you're going to remember Ezekiel 37 being the Valley of Dry Bones. You might remember that story in the Bible, the Valley of Dry Bones. And God is speaking to Ezekiel about prophesying over about these dry bones and from the lift. You know, and that, that scripture, Ezekiel 37, yeah, I mean, there, there's been some powerful sermons preached out of Ezekiel 37, many of which are not exactly about what that scripture is about, but what this scripture is about, let's just look at it, Ezekiel 37, reading 5 and 6. Thus says the Lord God to those bones, behold, I'll cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I'm the Lord. I mean, that, I mean, that, that can preach, right? Woo, yeah. I mean, that can preach. But listen, there's a specific prophecy that's being written right here that we're reading about. It's talking about something dead coming back to life. And then we get to verse 21, and it says this. Then they say to them, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will take the people of Israel from the nations among which they have gone, and will gather them from all around and bring them to their own land. 
You know, when I start talking about prophecy, so many times, I, I, it has to do with the birth of Jesus. And, and I always, you know, of course, every Christmas time we talk about that and all the prophecies about, you know, the birth of Christ and, and the odds on all those prophecies come to pass. We see the same thing about the return of the king. We see the, as just, the, the prophecies that happen in the Old Testament pointing to the time that we're in right now. And in verse 21, it makes it clear. Israel, listen, to give you perspective, Israel was a conquered and scattered nation. It was, this was taking place in the 6th century B.C., but God brought them back together 70 years later. And that the same thing happened at the destruction of the temple. Now, you know, we're after Christ's death and his resurrection. We see it, so we see it happen in the 6th century B.C., where the, the Israel is scattered among the nations. We see it happen again after the temple is destroyed in 70 AD and, the, and Israel is, is scattered among the nations. They, were, they were, had been living on Roman rule. But listen to me, every time in Scripture when we look at this, that there's a scattering, there's an explosion of faith. Do you hear me this morning? The purpose of persecution is always to grow the church. The enemy is, is trying to kill the church, to silence the church. What we find is, is that in the middle of persecution, the church always explodes. And so we read here in, 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 in verse 21. So listen to this. So I want you to get this image. And so 780 Israelites are, all the Israel, the Hebrew, is Israel, whatever, is scattered among all the nations. We read verse 21, you know, it's talking about this army that's dead and a prophesy over them and they're going to live. And then verse 21, we see it very specifically. Thus says the Lord God, behold, listen, I will take the people of Israel from where? I'm going to take the people of Israel from where? Where does it say on the screen? Is it on the screen? It is now. From the nations amongst where they have gone and I will gather them from all around listen and bring them to their own land so that leads us to this it happened in 1948 and so the second thing is this as Israel came back into their land in 1948, Israel came back into their land. They were scattered by the Babylonians in 606 B.C. They were scattered in 70 A.D. We fast forward uh, when we look you know, by the Romans 2,500 years later. But after World War II, after the Holocaust, Jews from around the world needed a place to be safe. So in 1947, British who controlled us, an area called the Transjordan region granted Jews, the people of Israel, to come back and create their own nation. And so on May 14th, 1948, that's exactly what happened. We read about the prophecy of it in Ezekiel 37. Is that not cool? I mean, so it's one thing to read it in one place, right? But let's read it in two places. In Isaiah chapter 66 and verse 8, who has heard such a thing? Who has seen such things? Shall a land be born in one day? Shall a nation be brought forth in one moment? For as soon as Zion was in labor, she brought forth 
her children. That's exactly what happened on May 14th, 1948. So what does that signify to us? Number three is this, is that Israel was reborn in one day. I don't know if you realize that or not. But Israel was reborn in one day. I mean, we read it there in Isaiah 66, 8. Have you ever heard of such a thing? I mean, a nation being born in one day. Have you ever seen such a thing? A nation being born in one day. Shall a land be born in one day? A nation brought forth in one moment. And that's exactly what happened. Israel went from being a people scattered with no homeland to a self-sustaining, self-sufficient nation recognized by the United Nations. God said it would happen, and he did it. Once Israel was back in her land, the rest of the world, they went crazy. They went ballistic. But you know what? God predicted that too, and it leads us to the fourth thing, which is this. We're talking about signs of the returning king. And so the fourth thing is this, that the surrounding nations have been staggering. The, the, the surrounding nations have been staggering. Let me read Zechariah chapter 12 and verse 2. You'll see it on the screen, and it'll kind of bring perspective to this. Behold, I'm about to make Jerusalem a cup of staggering to all the surrounding peoples. The siege of Jerusalem will also be against Judah. I mean, as soon as, as, soon as Israel was granted statehood and being a nation the Muslim people that surrounded them went completely ballistic. The nations that surround Israel have vowed to drive her into the sea. From 2006 to 2016, the, human nation, the, the United Nations Human Rights Council criticized Israel 68 times. And you can see it play out even today in the news between Palestine and Israel. But it's just not Palestine that hates Israel. Iran hates Israel. Iraq hates Israel. Northern Africa hates Israel. They all hate Israel. And yet we read about it in Scripture. They send suicide bombers. They rain mortar fire. They dig stealth tunnels. They try all of these things. God predicted this through the prophet Zechariah that lived in 500 B.C. We see a prophecy given in 500 B.C. that Israel's neighbors were going to hate Israel and them being a nation. Tell me, Scripture, man, 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 man. In, 1948, in May 14, 1948, the signal began in history where God planned for, for Saul. It was a signaling of the things to come and to be an end. And so we see that the surrounding nations have been staggering. Revelations, and I, and I just want to interject here. This doesn't mean that Israel is a nation of godly, righteous people, because they are not. But they are still God's chosen people. But we have been, we as if you're not Jewish, that means you are Gentile. But thanks be to God that he sent his son for the whole world. That now we have been grafted into that family. Powerful. Revelations, I want to read another verse. Revela is this, are you learning? Is this okay? All right, good. If it's not, I'm going for it anyway. Revelation chapter 11, verses 1 and 2. Listen to this. 
Then I was given a measuring rod like a staff, and I was told, rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and those who worship there. Verse 2, but do not measure the court outside the temple. Leave that out, for it is given over to the nations, and they will trample the holy city for 42 months. Listen, 42 months is three and a half years. The book of Daniel tells us that the final seven years of history of our planet will be the time of the tribulation. And the final three and a half of those seven years will be the great tribulation. And during that time, there's going to be all kinds, you can, you can read about it in Revelations, about the seals and the bowls and the judgments that are going to take place. But listen, an interesting part of this time, according to Revelations 11, Israel will possess a temple. But Israel won't possess the property around the temple. That property will belong to the nations. So let's recap this for a second. Israel is brought back into the land. Israel controls the land where the temple where reside. Something that happened in 1967. In May of that year, Egypt's president, Nasser, ordered the UN security forces that were serving as a buffer between Egypt and Israel to withdraw from the Sinai Peninsula. And then he cut off Israel's access to the Straits of Tehran, severing Israel from shipping route and uh, it, that was vital to Israel's interest and um, in, in endangering their national security. And so Nasser did that. He began lining his elite troops along Israel's southern border. At the same time, Jordan and Iraq began to force forces to, they lined up on the eastern border. At the same time, Syria, so all these surrounding nations, Syria mustered her troops on Israel's northern border. Israel doesn't have a western border. It's the Mediterranean Sea. Sensing an intimate attack, Israel launched a preemptive strike on June 5th to June 10th, 1967. And Israel, this little bitty nation, pushed back all of the Muslim enemies on all three sides, and they won on every single front an unexpected result that jordan's forces was so overwhelmed they feared the annihilation of their entire armed forces so instead of just withdrawing into their section of east jerusalem they moved all of the troops all the way back to the jordan river conceding east jerusalem to the jews without the fight Without meaning to, on June 7, 1967, Israel found herself in possession of the Temple Mount. Now let's go back to that scripture in Revelation. What did it say? That it would be Israel's. That it would be Israel's. And that leads us to the fifth sign of the returning of the king, that Israel owns the Temple Mount. And so listen, don't, don't doze off on me, because this is not like my, you know, Usually when it comes to end time stuff, I ask Angela. But, you know, I mean, she's like more in all that kind of thing. But I'm trying, to do, I'm trying to do the best I can. But listen to me. Because we wonder, we, we hear, is Jesus coming soon? And, I, and sometimes we may find ourselves in the, in the back of our head, really? I mean, really? I mean, I've been hearing that a lot. I've been hearing about the return of Jesus a lot. I mean, I've heard that all of my life. It hasn't happened yet. What I'm trying to give you are the signs saying that it could be at any moment of what's been fulfilled to say, you better check the oil. 
So number five, Israel owns the Temple Mount. In Luke 24, Jesus explains this significance, and so, and, and you can look at that, but I, w- I want to read, uh, speaking out that in, in Luke 24, that uh, what will come about for the Jewish people over the next 1900 years, but Luke 21, 24, it says this, they will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among all the nations, and Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles has been fulfilled. What does that mean? From the beginning, from the from Roman occupation to June 7, 1967, Gentiles ruled over Jerusalem. So the significance when Egypt was there at the southern and Jordan was there and, and Iraq was there and they surrounded Israel and then Jordan, remember I, t- I told you how Jordan, you know, they, they feared annihilation and so they left all, I mean, they left completely leaving East Jerusalem open. So listen, on the, because of that date, June 7, 1967, Gentiles had ruled Jerusalem. But on that day, East Jerusalem was united with West Jerusalem under the sovereignty of the Jewish nation. And the time of the Gentiles was fulfilled. And so when you read this, Scripture's so cool. I mean, we read this in Luke 21, and you read that we're not talking about something that's going to happen. We're reading something that did happen. Oh, come on, church, help me. So listen, according to Jesus, according to Luke 21, we are no longer living in the time of the Gentiles because Jerusalem is no longer trampled by Gentiles. And so the next step, is for the temple to be rebuilt. And that brings us to sign number six. That for the capital to be in Jerusalem. And today, the capital of Israel is Jerusalem. Now, I want to remind you of again, Luke 21, 24. And they will fall by the edge of the sword and led captive among all the nations, and Jerusalem will be trembled underfoot by the Gentiles, until the time of the Gentiles has been fulfilled. For 50 years, there were claims that Jerusalem wasn't really ruled by Israel. Because the capital of Israel was Tel Aviv. No one was willing to recognize that Israel, that Jerusalem was uh, Israel's legitimate capital. Remember I told you earlier about those that are younger than the others, you know? On May 14th, 2018, President Trump did what the previous four presidents promised to do, and our Senate had passed for it to happen, but never followed through, and he moved the U.S. Embassy from Tel Aviv to downtown Jerusalem. And after Trump's lead, several other nations followed and moved their, uh, their buildings to Jerusalem, And it is now recognized as the capital of Israel. Why is this so important? Because the city of Jerusalem is no longer ruled by or trampled by Gentiles. It's ruled by her own people for the first time since 70 A.D. And that has happened in 2018. If this is your first time and that you've been exposed to biblical prophecy, I know that it might sound crazy to you. And I know that it's a lot of information to really take in and understand. And that's why I really wanted to get notes out to you that you would have. 
And before I go any further, I just got a few more minutes. I'm, I did pretty good, actually. So just a few more minutes. But I, I do want to say this, even before I move any further. Even though I'm, I'm talking about the, the, the nations that are, that are dominant Muslim, listen, I, I want to tell you something. Christ died for them as well. This is, I'm not sharing this to make an enemy of a, of a people. It's just, it's just so tied up in the biblical prophecy, we have to point that out. But I'm going to tell you, I'm, I'm believing and praying for those that have been deceived by the religion of Islam be brought to Christ in a great harvest. And that's what we must pray and believe. And so, there's one more sign. And we read about it in Numbers 19. And we're going to read it in just a second. So what's the, I began this, I, I don't know if I gave you a heads up before, but I, I was going to talk about seven signs. Here's a seventh sign. A red heifer has to be born. A red heifer has to be born. In Numbers chapter 19 and verse 2, it says, This is the statute of the law that the Lord has commanded. Tell the people of Israel to bring you a red heifer. A red heifer without defect in which there is no blemish and on which a yoke has never come. Numbers 19.2. The seventh sign is this. A red heifer has been born. And I, I don't know if you realize this, but this has also been fulfilled. Let me tell you the significance of this. So the significance of this, I mean, the scripture lines it out, it has to be perfect, a red heifer without blemish, no yoke being laid upon. But here's the thing, and I, I don't have time, I'm going to have to kind of skip this part to really cover a lot of this. But when you look at the Old Testament, and you understand, right, that what happened, there were sacrifices. Um, there were daily sacrifices. There were sacrifices every morning, every night. And there was also a, you know, the once a year sacrifice for the, the covering of sin, and, and that involved, uh, uh, you, you know, animals, birds, goats, and cows, and all that kind of stuff is a gruesome thing. And, uh, and that, that's the importance, of course, we know that Christ becoming the supreme sacrifice. But listen, when you go through Scripture, you understand that there was only to be ten red heifers to be sacrificed. Before the temple was destroyed, there was nine. And now another one has been born. Process that for a moment. Do you, do you understand the gravity, the weight of that? It's not like a red heifer was sacrificed every day or every month. But there's only to be ten. We only need, it only needs to happen one more time. And there will not be another sacrifice of a red heifer. What does that tell you about the timing of the coming of the Lord? Church, listen to me. The king is returning. The king is returning. The king is returning. And so I want to close just very quickly, maybe hopefully with some encouragement. 
And this reminds you what Scripture tells us. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds and meet the Lord in the air, so we will be with the Lord. Therefore, listen, therefore, encourage one another with these words. Everybody say encourage. Come on, everybody say encourage. The rapture, the end times, all of this stuff happening, Scripture does not line it out for us to strike some kind of fear into our heart. What the Scripture, what the Holy Spirit is trying to say to you, be encouraged by what you see. Because Maranatha, Lord, as soon, it's going to be very soon that we are united with Christ forever. Oh, church, God didn't tell us about the end to scare us or discourage us, but to encourage us. I want to leave you with four things very quickly. How to be prepared. How to be prepared for his return. Number one, don't be deceived. Number one, don't be deceived. The scripture is clear in the last days there'd be antichrist, there'd be false prophets, false teachers, wolves in sheep's clothing. I I don't wanna I don't wanna call names or be specific. I, I do have feelings and opinions, but I'm gonna tell you. It didn't take long watching Christian television to see what's happening and what's going on. It doesn't take long to hear news stories or even, I mean, even churches that don't make Christian television. I mean, I've been around some ministers and preachers and invited to services, and I thought, man, he's got these people hook, line, and sinker, and it has nothing to do with Scripture. Maybe some of it is some kind of power trip. Maybe some of it is a line, some pockets. I mean, I don't know. But I know this, that we are living in a day, if ever, that we need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And not just a baptism of the Holy Spirit, but that illumination of the Holy Spirit to open Scripture to us, to speak to our heart and to our spirit. Number two is this. Remain faithful. All through, when you read Luke 24 and 21 and, and Matthew 20, you read these scriptures, you see it over and over and over again. Those who remain faithful to the end. Those that remain faithful to the end. Those that remain faithful to the end. Listen, we are in the end. Remain faithful. Remain faithful. Remain faithful. I'm going to tell you number three is this, is to pray for revival, to pray for an outpouring, to pray for souls and salvation, to pray for miracles that take place, to pray for God to encounter people in, in a special, wonderful way. Pray for an outpouring of the, pray for an awakening, pray for whatever your terminology is, whatever your vernacular is. Listen, our minds and hearts I, listen, you know, there's nothing wrong with, with hobbies. There's, there's nothing wrong with living life. There's nothing wrong with enjoying life. Listen, I get it. I mean, one of, one of the most special days of the year is happening in six days for me. It's bow season for white-tailed deer. 
I'm a, my opening day on my calendar is set for like decades ahead. I, I want my family to know Saturday, October 2nd, I'm in the deer blind, just so you know. There's nothing wrong with having those hobbies, but I'm going to tell you, I, you always know, sing this song that I, I don't know if I can get it right right now just because I'm speaking about it off the cuff, but you know, it's that song about the things of earth growing straight dim. If your heart is set on anything of this earth, it's set on the wrong thing. If your love affair is with anything on this earth, it's your passion's going to the wrong. I'm not saying don't love your spouse. That's, that's don't read into that. That's not what I mean by that. Listen to me. We are aliens here. This is not home. This is not home. The fourth thing is this, and I want to ask you to stand. Man, I did way better on time I thought I was going to. You may not think so, but I, I'm, I'm proud. Number four is this. And I mentioned to it a few moments ago. Abide in Jesus. Abide in Jesus. Abide in Jesus. Abide in Jesus. Church, listen to me. Church is not something that you go to. The church, it's our identity. It's who we are. The Bible says that if you abide in Him, you will bear much fruit. Apart from Him, you can do nothing. Your heartbeat needs to be for Jesus. Do you hear me this morning? Your heartbeat needs to be for Jesus. I mean, there needs to be a shift in us. I'm not talking about the big C church anymore. I'm not talking about our culture anymore. I'm talking about me. I'm talking about Odessa first. I'm talking about us. Oh, our heart needs a pound for Jesus. Our heart needs a long. The, the psalmist wrote, my heart and my flesh, they cry out for the living God. Oh, he shed his blood and he saved us. He's provided for us so many benefits, promises that we get to stand on. But it's more than what he can do. It's about what he's done. That he came as a servant. He gave himself up to be a sacrifice on that cross, to be whipped, the crown of thorns, and so many thought that he was not who he said he was. I'm going to tell you who he was and is and is to come.
and that he is King Jesus. He's the King of kings, and he's the Lord of lords. There is no other. There is no other. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And this is with every eye closed just for a moment. Every eye closed just for a moment. Thanks for joining us today. I hope you enjoyed the message. I'd like to ask you to like and share today's message on your social media platforms. If you want more information about Odessa First Assembly, you can go to odessafirst.com or also follow us on our social medias on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. We also live stream to most of those platforms. Again, thanks for joining us.